Well, Jets fans, after many weeks of speculation and waiting, the Jets finally did it. Today, they signed former Packers Tim Boyle to the roster? Glenn, I don't know what to make of this. What's going on? I thought we were getting Aaron Rodgers. Somehow we got buffooned into uh, Tim Boyle here. But uh, if you look at some of his nice preseason throws, he's kind of okay. Don't look at his college stats, but look at his preseason throws. How are we doing, Glenn? He threw one touchdown in three years in college. That's got that's got to be a record. There can't be another NFL quarterback who threw one touchdown in college. I've, I'm looking at him like was he a, like was he a running back in college and he like threw like, some trick plays? No, 13 interceptions. So he was more than just a. Yeah, so one TD, 13 picks in college, found his way into the NFL somehow. He's hung around for a couple years. Um, I've been busy the last few hours, so I haven't had a chance to to go back and try to find any passes he threw in an actual game. But yeah, yeah, I mean, listen, you need somebody who knows the system in camp, right? That's exactly it. And somebody tweeted at me because I put out a tweet saying, Timmy B, come on down. We're just basically recreating a Packers room from a couple years removed. And uh, somebody said, what, what are your thoughts on Tim Boyle? Is he any good? I was like, he'll be a great camp arm. And hopefully that's it. Because, I mean, as much as we don't want Zach Wilson to be quarterback, too, I just I don't see how this plays out as him being quarterback, too. And if so, they're still putting just as many eggs in the Rodgers basket as they did before the signing. So it is what it is. The other signing they did make, however, is one that could make bigger waves at least on Jets Twitter, it made bigger waves. And that's the signing of Quentin Jefferson, uh, defensive tackle. That happened just about an hour ago, so very fresh. I have not even gotten a chance. I put one tweet out using a couple of his stats from last year. He actually led the Seahawks in team sacks with five and a half. So that's kind of, although it's a low number, it's a good number for defensive tackles. And I saw a tweet saying he could be a very good rotational pass rusher with some five tech usage. So he could be kicked out to the outside as well. So kind of like a JFM mold of a player, so to speak. Um, do you have any thoughts on that signing? No, same thing. I mean, all the, all this happened while I was, you know, mm-hmm. we have a guest coming on a little bit and I was uh, finishing up his book. So I've peeked at the signings and um, <clears throat> I've, you know, looked at a, took a quick glance at his PFF grade from last year. It was like 44 something along those lines. So um, I'm not going to pretend to know about the guy. I don't. TFF didn't think much of him. Uh, not a starter. Depth piece. And um, probably watch a little bit of him this week rather than sit here now and pretend I, I'm familiar with the Seahawks backup defensive lineman. Yeah, exactly. I feel that exact same way. I'm hoping to get a couple of um, at least TV broadcasts. of. I'm Seahawks sure somebody somewhere something. out there is, you know, who has never seen him play a snap is talking about how either how wonderful or how terrible of a move this is. Yeah. Um, because you always have that. You know? Exactly. I, I saw some people saying we still do need defensive tackle because of the role that he plays specifically. And I understand that everybody was kind of hoping for that two gapping, you know, space eating defensive tackle. I know they had uh, Al Woods in for a, a visit veteran from the Seahawks as well, but they end up with Quentin Jefferson. So more of a pass rush mold, which they're an attacking four, three front. So I assume like, they want the guys that are going to attack more than they're going to run, defend, and just leave that for the linebackers to clean up. That's just my personal assumption about the situation. They could still very well draft or sign another two-gapping, you know, defensive tackle, more of the Sheldon, uh, not Sheldon, the uh, Nathan Shepard role, excuse me. So 
Anyway, you have Quinton and Quinnen in the middle. That's not going to get confusing considering they're both obviously called Q. Um, I tried to just YouTube a couple highlights of him. All I found uh, was a mic'd up from a preseason game and a video where he had an altercation with a Jaguars fan as he was getting ejected from the stadium. No, I don't really like put too much stock into that, but that's all that was on his YouTube. There wasn't much like highlight at all. So if he comes with five and a half sacks and that's what he's going to bring to the Jets, that's cool. He's 30 years old or he just turned 30 last week. So an, another veteran at a spot like at of need. So they're going to rely on him pretty heavily at this point. I don't I think it's just Quinnen and Solomon Thomas on the depth chart at defensive tackle. So they're pretty slim. So other than that, it's got to figure Tanzel Smart will be in. the Oh, mix is he too. on a future? Yeah, he's on a future deal. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah, you have four guys in the mix. Hopefully, like we said, Tanzel does get some snaps. Um, other than that, yeah, you did mention it. We are going to have a guest at some point, uh, former Jets player Paul Frace. I believe I'm saying that correctly. He's going to come yep. on and, and Glenn's going to do uh, an interview with him. He's going to promote his new book. So we're going to talk about um, that with him and then. We, uh, at the end of the, the show, we're going to dive into the top 30 visits for the New York Jets um, each year. I don't know exactly how they're allowed or if it's exactly 30 visits they're allowed to get, but they get prospect visits with NFL draft prospects. And we have the list according to Walter Football and curated from a couple Twitter sites, uh, uh, tweets as well. And then at the very end, Glenn and I are going to go head to head. We didn't really talk about the parameters of these mock drafts, but we did each do a mock draft. And we're going to go head to head and see who basically came up with the better, you know, draft for the Jets this year. So it actually looks like we do have Paul backstage right now. So what I'm going to do is let him have a second to get situated there and he can throw me a thumbs up when he's ready. And then I'll, I'll back out and let you guys talk for a little bit. Sure. Sure. All right. I see that. And we're going to go. All right. Hey, uh, Paul Frey's joining us now live. How are we doing, Paul? Doing all right. It's a little warm here in uh, sunny Florida. Where, where, whereabouts in Florida are you nowadays? In jet country, uh, St. Augustine. Okay. Oh, God. Yeah, nicest, uh, nice little town up there. I lived in Florida for many years, but uh, yeah. lived all over the place. We visited St. Augustine a couple times. Oldest schoolhouse in America, right? Oldest established city in the U.S. Yes. Yeah, yeah first established. Discovered by Ponce de Leon, I believe. So yeah, yeah, some time ago I visited. So, so I had a chance to read your book today. Uh, well, yesterday and today, um, it was. Um, it's 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 not a light read. It's 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 you know in terms of what you guys endured as a family. Um, I'll I'll leave you to sort of you know intro the book, break it down. We'll talk about it a little bit uh, for our listeners um, about your son Joshua and. Um, I'll just, I'll leave it up to you. You know, again, he was, um, I just literally finished it like an hour ago and it was really, uh, it, it wasn't, um, it's, it's emotional. It's emotional. So go ahead and, uh, and, and say whatever you want. Let our, let our listeners know. Oh gosh. Well, it's, it's, it's good to be amongst friends. Um, interestingly, uh, my son Joshua was born when I was still a member of the uh, New York Jets. And uh, I was, we were back in Dallas during the off season and Joshua was born on February 2nd. And I actually was drafted in the expansion draft. I think it was February 15th or 18th. And Tom Coughlin was a 
fresh out of college from Boston College, uh, been in the NFL coach, uh, you know, at times, but uh, he was like, you, you gotta be here. You know, you gotta give me a hundred percent, you know, when you're here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. And, uh, but the problem was, which I did, which I did. Uh, but the problem was Joshua had been born February 2nd with the muscle disorder. And uh, he, uh, it turns out he was one of 50 known cases, 55 known cases in the world. Um, so there was no research, there was no cure, there was no therapy. They, they couldn't even tell us how to keep our son alive. Uh, gosh, I, I don't want to be Debbie Downer uh, right into the story <laughs> in, in the show. But no, uh, I'm, I'm, no, I'm so I mean, it's it, it's uh, like I said, it's there, there's not an easy way to 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 to, to broach the subject, right? I mean, sorry, I didn't give you a second to, to, to kind of prep. We we just knew we were having you on, and like I said, I literally just finished the book, so it's it's really fresh in my mind. So, um, well, I'm I'm going to give you a two minute and thirty second synopsis. Um, born, fifty five known cases in the world. We were told when he when the day he was born, we were told he probably will will not survive the day, and then we found out five months later through a muscle and nerve bus, biopsy he had myotubular myopathy. Uh, my uh, uh, Allison, his mom was from uh, Queens in uh, Massapequa, Long Island, and had a lot of chutzpah. And I just was like, tell me how to keep my son alive. And um, before Joshua's first birthday, you know, she said, we're going to use your platform in the NFL to raise a bunch of money. And we're going to figure this thing out because the doctors can't tell us. They have no clue. So, um, yeah, we we just we went into high gear. Uh, I was still going to play in the NFL because we understood the insurance was so crucial to to, uh, um, you know, live our lives. So uh, we were able to raise about seven million dollars over the next 10, 12 years. Research at Harvard, Boston Children's. Uh, Wake Forest Institute of Regenerative Medicine, U University of Washington. We had two, uh, uh, a murine mouse model and, and a dog model, uh, a proof of concept within and by 2000, I think probably 11 or 12. And we went into clinical trials and, and uh, our goal was to save our son and then help. Our goal was to get a cure, say, say selfishly, we wanted to save our son. We wanted a cure for his peers, and then we wanted to help the families that, that we could help that were suffering with the disorder. Basically, we found out through research there's five to 8,000 kids out there with it. It's an orphan. It's an ultra-orphan disease. An orphan disease means 200,000 patients or less worldwide. Um, and Joshua passed. Uh, six and a half years, seven years before we had uh, a clinical trial, uh, the, the commencement of a clinical trial. Um, but and that's what, you know, in reading the book, you know, as, as I'm going through it and not knowing that final chapter, if you're going to get to that point, like I'm reading and I'm thinking, please tell me they get to that point where there's something, where there's some type of breakthrough, whether it's, you know, a cure, uh, you know, you know, it's not going to get, that's not going to come as quickly, but. I'm just reading it. And so when, when it gets to the chapter where you, you know, you talk about Noah and, and, you know, him being, you know, him being the patient who got the first ever treatment um, for the disorder and, and, you know, kind of wondering myself as I'm reading it, you know, and it was nice to see that Allison said she's, 
you know, stays in touch with and has FaceTime chats with Noah and that, and that he's doing well. And it just the, the, the whole journey, you guys as a family, I'm a big, anyone that knows me, like I, I bang on and on about how, you know, with the adversity families face, whatever it may be like the, the families that have the ability to stick together and work through these things, you know, sometimes they, they work out great till the end. Sometimes they, they break down at some point, but the, the work that you guys did, you know, working as a team, you obviously being an NFL player have that understanding of the importance of teamwork. Um, and the two of you really seem to work so well together. And, and Allison with, you know, the story about, you know, the, the scrambling to get the dog and, in, in uh, what was it in Canada, right. Uh, you know, trying to catch the flight and buy a dog crate while she was up there and everything sort of on the fly. Um, it was really just uh, I, that type of, as you know, of course it's, it's a terribly sad story with your son, but, the, the, what shines through is the the family working hard to, to get through it and get together and then eventually getting to a point where you guys were able to get a trial and you know it's 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 a a long way to go I suppose but that's a huge step like you guys have done so much of the work and that's what makes it you know I don't know I guess inspiring for lack of a better term in 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 reading a story like that like of course it's incredibly sad for any parent um but there's like that light at the end of the tunnel like okay there, there was progress you know as I say, like it, it wasn't for nothing. You know what I mean? All the work led to something that could be the first step in, in what is, you know, a breakthrough that'll change lives. Right. I mean, we're going in very deep in just the first few minutes, but you, you are so right. And, uh, we were, we were basically nothing happened. Nothing in this life is a coincidence. And we really felt, you know, these these kids, 55 known cases in the world, no money's going to research unless you're born to a, you know, a politician, you know, unless the kid is a politician's kid or 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 an NFL athletes who has a wife who is is raring to go and, and want, wanting to find a cure um, and not taking no for an answer. And uh, and that's what we did. I mean, we. You, you look back on it and you th think think most people would you know would do it if if they were in our shoes and and I and I I know there are some people that would but some but the circumstances really there was it wasn't you know to to have these circumstances and and I had a, I was playing in the NFL making a little bit of, bit of money I mean I was a blue collar player I wasn't a white collar player I wasn't you know, making what Mark Gassner was making and uh, all that fun stuff. But, um, yeah, we, we just, we. Do you, have you ever seen the movie Lorenzo's Oil? I have it's, not. It's a Nick Nolte story with, uh, in Susan Sarandon. They're the parents of a young boy that is perfectly normal at birth and then he about three or four years old he comes to his demise but he actually he lives kind of in a vegetable state for the next 11 12 13 years and he passes but the parents find it they find a therapy and in the end of the the, the trailer at the, I, mean, I mean the end of the the credits are rolling and you see these kids you know Johnny, little Johnny, at, you know, at, at 12 years old, he received Lorenzo's oil, and it was a, a fatty chain acid, you know, that's all it was, and they figured it out, and it was a therapy, and it was helping these kids, and, and um, you know, I mean, yeah, life, life deals you 
some funny hands sometimes and uh you gotta you gotta you gotta stand up you know and 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 you're gonna take your blows that's for sure um uh we were we were just so blessed so fortunate you know i i i say i through the whole experience you know it always could be worse because joshua his mind was so clear and he he was a national honor society student i didn't even know how to qualify for the national honor society right and i i i had to the joke is i had to dumb him down and and make him watch the office and he would slap my thigh dad dwight Schrute is an idiot well you know it's just funny stuff and uh right, it was, right. yeah so yeah, yeah that's uh yeah that's it, it's funny you talk about how different people would deal with it because one of the thoughts i had is as i was reading it and kind of tying into like i said all the work you guys were doing and how it, it chaotic it must have been but it became the life that you guys knew when you lived it and you you adapted to it and anytime I see that, anytime I hear about people overcoming, not even overcoming, but but managing, finding ways to work with things like that, it always reminds me of you. I don't know if you've ever read the book um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, um, mm. old old uh, POW in uh, uh, Nazi Germany. And he talked about mm. how, and he was a psychologist. And he said one of the things he that really sh- struck him in these camps was he the unbelievable ability people have to adjust to their circumstances. Right. Um, and that's that's anytime I see it, anytime I, I hear or read about people who adjust to, you know, when your life kind of when life throws you a curveball and you have no choice but to but to say, all right, how do we adjust to this? And you find yourself living a life or doing things you would have never anticipated or never thought possible. Um, and, and like I said, you guys did it. And that's what to me, that's what stood out in the book other than Joshua's story in itself. But but um, the book, the book itself is called Game Changer. Um, for anyone who wants to check it out, I got mine on Amazon, um, read it on my Kindle over the last couple of days. Um, it is a, it's an, it's a moving book, emotional book, um, about a great kid and about a family who, uh, you know, who found ways to, to really, I mean, talk about beating the odds. As you said, you guys were told when he was born that he may not make it through the night. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he made it many, many years, you know, he, he beat the odds and, and that was another theme in the book was, was. You're, the way you guys were able to educate yourself on his condition and, and speak to the doctors about, you know, things they may not have known. Because again, when you're talking about a condition where there's only 50 some cases, there's a good chance that patient's going to know more. Um, I remember being told by a pediatrician years ago, I worked in a pediatrician's office and he said, if, if a parent comes to me and just says, my kid isn't right, that's good enough for me. Bring them in for an appointment. I don't need the symptoms. Nobody knows their kid like a parent does. And they don't have to know what they just have to know something's not right with my kid and not every doctor does that some doctors are very arrogant and very sort of i'm the doctor here i don't need your input um and i'm sure you guys dealt with some of that but um but the fact that you guys took on board so much information were able to use that during his visits and you know the paramedics when they came to your house and things like that um just really testament to the 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 hours you guys put into to acting on his behalf well, I, I appreciate th- those words, and yes, you're you're absolutely right. And, and it, it, I remember one time Joshua was down; he was lungs collapsed, and <clears throat> the 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 physician came in, and it turns out he's a Kevin Sullivan Sullivan from Long Island, New York, and Allison's from Long Island, and they freaking lock horns. <laughs> he, but to his credit, he he actually 
he came in and he started barking orders and this and that and antibiotics and blah, blah, blah. And Allison was like, no, 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 no antibiotics until we know it's a bacterial infection because antibiotics won't work against the viral because we don't want to lower his immune system. Yeah, yeah. So Kevin Sutherland, he actually backed up and he says, okay, well, let's talk about your child's care. What did you, what do you think we should do? And uh, we, he's act, you know, I think you read it. He's one of the excerpts of the doctors in, in the book. Yeah. You know, you know he's, he said his last sentence was, so if you want to make an ass of yourself as a doctor, don't listen to the parents that know their child better, way better than you. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and as I said, yeah, I, you know, that was one of the, one of the, the best things yeah. I've, I was told by a pediatrician that I worked with is oh. listen to the parents, man. They know yeah. um, it's something else. But uh, like I said, it's called Game Changer. You can get it on Amazon. Um, check it out. It was a like I said, it's an emotional read, but a, but a great read, you know, about strength and perseverance and on, on all of your behalf. So, you know, great job by you guys there, you know, in, in navigating what was obviously a, not an easy situation. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier um, to uh, sort of segue to your playing days, you know, Jets fans who will remember uh, one of the names you mentioned. And and um, he was one of the guys I was going to ask about so much larger than life uh, playing with Mark Gastineau, being a defensive lineman, being in, you know, in the in the D line room with Mark Gastineau. Um, and uh, listen, there were some really good guys in, the, in, in that group. You had Marty Lyons, um, really good player in his own right. Um, later on, Marvin Washington, who you mentioned in your book, he was actually one of the, uh, he was one of the first players I ever interviewed when I started writing for Jet Nation many years ago, oh, yeah. um, reached out to him and he got right back to me and he was really funny enough. Um, cause years later it got picked up on, he was the first person I ever heard talking about some of these, uh, revolutionary treatments for, for CTE, right. uh, the, can the cannabis, uh, type treatments. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and more, and he was, and to me, I was like, what's he talking about? Like, I'd never right. heard of it from anyone. <laughs> and then funny enough, funny enough, it was probably two or three years later. Um, the New York post runs this story. Oh, former jet advocating for blah, blah, blah. It's like, Oh, he told me that three, but nobody cares. Cause he told me, you know, nobody cares about that. But I was just, I was glad he was out there and active and working on that. But, but what was it like being in that D line room with some of those guys? Oh, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. I, I was there. Mark Gastineau, fortunately, but unfortunately I, I, I backed him up in my rookie year. And that was the year that he left in the middle of the as middle of the season so i got to start the rest of the year so good for me bad for him but um yeah it was it was quite uh an event uh to to you know hang out with uh jeff logaman came in he was our first uh dave dave cat again my year Cadigan. was our first, yeah but uh logaman was the next year and marvin washington ronnie stallworth and uh scott mercero was our nose tackle he was just a clown and a tough tough son of a gun and of course, Dennis Bird, you know, um, wow, what a, what a, yeah. what a believable talent he was. Didn't have the athletic, unbelievable skills, but you, you couldn't stop his chop move, you know? And after the third sack you, you suffered uh, against him, you're like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. He was something else. And he, you, you mentioned him in your book as being a clown who, uh, what he, he oh. uh, set you up and sprayed shaving cream on your tuxedo before your wedding or something isn't that the uh he filled my shoe with shaving cream <laughs> i come up and it was a bi weekend so i'm i'm rushing to get down 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 to the burden mansion in 95th and 5th or whatever it was i don't know and i cut and i slide i get all dressed and i put my shoe on 
and the shaven cream just squirts out out of the whole freaking locker room starts laughing. I look at Dennis, and Dan, Dennis is like, uh-huh. right. <laughs> I'm like, not funny, Dennis, but everybody else thought it was hilarious, of course. Yeah, yeah that was, they, I mean, God, he was, uh, he, he was something else. Lagerman, too. He, well, now I'm trying to remember, did he go in the expansion draft, too? Because he went, he just went yeah. as a free agent, didn't he? Or was it expansion no. draft to Jacksonville? He got paid. He went as a free free agent, exactly. Yeah. And, and interestingly, Jeff and I were the, the two longest tandem teammates in the league for a couple of years. You, you know, I played seven years of the Jets. He came one year behind me. So we're, we were six there and then uh, two more in Jacksonville. I went to Green Bay and ended up in Baltimore one, you know, uh, another year and a year. And then Jeff played uh, another four, three or four years for Jacksonville. Okay, yeah, and you you also had uh, I'm trying to think Kyle Clifton, of course, at linebacker behind you guys. He was a an all time Jet. You know, he play, he he kind of you came along uh, yourself, sort of. A, I missed right I miss, right as I sorry. I missed Lance Mel and Bobby Crable, and and Kyle was their underling, and what a guy! I mean, they were they were all great. I I met them all, but I'm sorry. Sorry for no, no, that's fine. That's fine. I was going to say, I remember a lot of those guys fairly well because that was, uh, that's when I started watching. I was sort of, you know, 12 years old, 13 years old and 87, 88, 89. So, you know, I've memories of all those guys and it's, they're not, they're not as vivid because it's, you know, cause it's, it's not yesterday anymore. It's, it's been a little while, but I always remember Clifton. Cause you know, you, you were one of those guys, you were there for a long time, you know? So when I, you know, when, when Phil, uh, messaged me the other day and said, Hey, you know, we want to have Paul Fraze on. I was like, oh my God, like that, you know, how many, how many years did I watch that guy play? Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, like I said, some really good players there. The secondary, I remember how long, how long did you play with James Hasty? I thought he was a guy I, who uh, came in the same year. So we played when, when, when did he go to Kansas city? I think, no, we played, I was seven years at jets. We were the same draft of the jets. He was the third round, I guess, maybe second. And Eric McMillan was anyway. Um, I when I went to Green Bay and um, after my two years with the Jaguars, I ended up playing against Eric preseason uh, Green Bay, Kansas City, out in Japan, uh, Japan Tokyo, and okay. I hadn't I hadn't seen him for like four or five years, and or three years, and all of a sudden I'm at the airport, you know, buying a little airplane for Joshua, on the way home. And James comes up to me behind me and says, "Hey, Frazy, James." Uh. Yeah, that's the, I feel like he was one of the. He was really good as a Jet, but he seemed to. I don't know if it was just leaving the Jets, but he got a lot of recognition when he left. I feel like he got a lot more accolades. Like people didn't realize how good he was oh. when he was a Jet. Um, James Hasty, and then once he landed with the Chiefs, he was, you know, held in much higher regard, and it felt like he, you know, he was an underrated player in that secondary for sure. Yeah, he was a lockdown. He was and and Emac and and I didn't re- remember. I was I was looking at one of uh, uh, Eric McMillan's posts, you know, six months or so ago, and I was like, he picked off Dan Marino three times in one game. <laughs> you know, and I was playing in the game. <laughs> <laughs> that's the th- that's the thing. Sometimes there's so much going on, you don't have time to stop and look at the numbers and the. You know, yeah. you kind of focus on the next play and and things like that. But he did, he yeah. had he had a some couple of really good seasons with the Jets for sure. Um, he did. One guy that you were only around for one season, and I'm curious what you thought of him because of what he went on to be was your head coach Pete Carroll. Um, yeah. Your final year, if I'm not mistaken, was Carroll's first year. Yeah. Um, before you went in the expansion draft, 
um, yeah. young guy. You knew him, of course, he was your defensive coordinator prior to getting the head coaching job. Um, did you think he was ready for it? Do you think he was a little too young? Or did uh, you think and, – and did you think he would eventually go on to be a great coach? I didn't think he was ready for it, not because he was – he because he was too young, but because he had that West Coast laissez-faire, they're gonna make it. They're gonna they're gonna be okay if they're getting a, getting a, good enough to get in the combines of the draft. And we drafted them. They're they're gonna fall into place. Well, the problem was the money was starting to get so big, the signing bonuses a couple million bucks, and the kids would come in and say, I I don't have to listen to you. And if you weren't a coach that yanked on the the reins and tightened them up like a Tom Coughlin with a bunch of new kids and a brand new team and a bunch of old veteran or a few older veterans. If you didn't tighten the, you know, tighten it up and then loosen it up slowly, Pete would just go in and he was just like, I remember Pete says to, to Bill Pakel, Bill Pakel was an old time Raider, you know, won a Super Bowl. Then he was, he was in the twilight of his career at the Jets and he was still a tough tough son of a gun and uh I, he played after i left and um you know pete was like bill what, what are the rules and bill was the old wily veteran and bill's like don't be late you know and pete's like and this is open, you know open and team meeting you know i was like okay don't be late it, it, it was like two or three rules and that was it now and then he went up to new england kind of still didn't pull the reins in tight. And then he goes to USC and he learns about the new NFL player for 13 years. And then he's ready to go. Pete was the best defensive coordinator I've ever had. We ha we were standing in the lobby three hours before the game. And he'd say, Frazee, are you you ready? You remember this? The pirate play? You got this? Okay, Hasty, you, you got this? Are you, and we're like, yeah, yeah, we're ready to go. And he was just phenomenal. And everywhere he went, I mean, we had a we had a Jets defense it was number four, or number five. Offense might have been twenty six, but whatever. And and we would stay in games. And um, yeah. So obviously, you get to Seattle, the defense starts getting better. Went went from twenty eight to twenty three to sixteen to, and all of a sudden, Russell Wilson comes. Mm -hmm. And Pete's defensive mind with a quarterback like Russell, you got a chance. Yeah, and, yeah, they they did obviously did some pretty special things up there. So, um, yeah, that I I I because Pete Carroll was sort of he was a young coordinator when you didn't have a lot of young coordinators. Oh yeah, um, I remember that was one of the big stories when the Jets hired him. Like, oh, this young kid is he going to be ready for the job? Um, and obviously, you know, he he made an impression, and and that was sort of that. that I remember that being the rap when he was let go that ownership felt Pete was too too comfortable with or too easy on the players like hey let's go practice early and go play basketball like that type of thing and I think there was some I think I remember reading years ago that ownership saw that and didn't like it and they thought he's not strict enough sort of what you're saying you know he's not he's not clamping down on these guys so but in the end you know like you said he went to USC for for 10 12 13 years and and it obviously worked for him well and also Seattle was perfect he he had structure he had he had gained that much needed structure and he was you know he was tougher but seattle was just you know the, the legion of boom oh, and that was his that was his style right he didn't he let it go he right. didn't he didn't squash those guys 
he'd let them play <laughs> and yeah. then yeah but he he's a great guy you know and actually pete carroll and and glenna his wife every single year and Pete, when he was up in New England, came to one of our big um, uh, Muscle Dream Team galas and helped the us galas, raise, yeah. helped us raise money for the for the foundation. And Pete, up the, um, he's been writing a check every single year, oh, help, wow. helping us find a cure. And you know, that's you know, fantastic. Pete. Like you just love hearing stuff like that because you, oh, it's so rare you get the sort of the human side of the players, the coaches, and and stuff, especially something like that. Like it's. Sometimes when there's a camera in the room, it's like, well, is this is this something set up by the agent or so to yeah. know that that's like a behind the scenes kept quiet like that that I love hearing that type of stuff because you know not everybody who has the ability to do that chooses to, mm. so um that that's great to hear that. But thanks so much for joining us, Paul. Um, really appreciate having you on. Like I said, I recommend the book to to anybody out there, any Jets fans, any fan of anybody, um, you know, anyone dealing with adversity and and for looking for people who who navigated it for quite some time. I uh, absolutely appreciate this. Uh, I've, I've been wanting to get to the jet nation, to the, to the fans of the jets. And, uh, and um, I, my time in New York was second to none. It was great. It was wonderful. Um, when do me a favor, when you go to Amazon, there's a lot of game changers on Amazon. So Google Amazon, Paul phrase or Amazon, Allison rocket, and it will come right up. And when you do get get a book through Amazon, please, please, please leave a review because Amazon has all those algorithms and stuff. And we want this story out there. We want people to experience Joshua and to learn about the hope, the love, and the inspiration that he gave each and every one of us. And last thing, if you know some family member or somebody in the community that's dealing with uh, a disability and you know the child well enough to take go to the parents and say you need a night off once a month go to the movies go to dinner and watch their kid or or pay for a nurse to the, watch their kids you will not um, you can't imagine what not one night of respite will do with a family that is dealing with a critical disorder disorder or devastating disorder so yeah that, that was actually one of the one of the more touching stories uh was the one where you talked about how you and you and your wife took a day away for the first time in forever. And you could see a family with a, a child who was unwell and you didn't know them from, you know, you'd never met them before, but took the time to go over and sort of offer some encouraging words and say hello to their son and, and tell them that you were sort of, you knew what they were going through and that, you know, you understood their, their struggle. And that, I don't know. I thought that was great. A great gesture from you guys. But, um, but again, thanks again so much for coming on, Paul. It's much appreciated. I will, like I said, I finished the book a couple hours ago. I will be leaving my Amazon review uh, here in the next 24 hours. It'll be hey. up there. And, uh, and yeah, I had that same issue. I put in Game Changer and a million books came up, put in Game Changer, Paul Phrase, and there it was. So, exactly. um, so check it out, Jets fans. Thanks a lot, Paul. We appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank Go you. Jets. All right, I think you're muted there, Dylan. Yeah, there you I just go. wanted to get off mute there. That was, that was a really good interview. That was yeah. Huge. He's he's uh he's a good guy, you know, from from all accounts. And it, you know, when Phil said we could have him on, I was like, you know, I was absolutely want to do it. And it's um, like I said, I I said to him, it's not uh, it's not a light read. Like it's emotional, but it's I don't know. I love this. I love the strength 
um, the the intestinal fortitude, families dealing with adversity and pushing through that stuff, and and um, it's it's like it's something you never want to have to do yourself, but it to me it's inspiring to see other people do it. And him and his wife really, you know, for years and years um, working together. It's 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 a great story. I highly recommend it. It's uh, you can get through it in a couple of days. It's not you know it's it's not uh, a six seven hundred page book. It's a couple hundred pages and mm-hmm. um, highly recommend it. But um, but yeah, back to uh, back to back to our thing here. Back to yeah. And if you guys follow me on Twitter at D Terman, um, I did put out the link. Everything he said, how to Google it, how to find the book properly. Oh, I will also link after the show. I will link the direct link from Amazon straight to the book into the tweet thread. So we really appreciate Paul for coming on. We appreciate you for doing that interview. Yeah, unfortunately, um, I'm just right outside that generation of. I was born in '95, yeah, so it's it's like his playing days with the Jets right after, you know. So, um, all right, we can get into it now. I think the next topic is top 30 visits. We can just kind of explore that, and we'll just kind of get into the mock draft from there because it'll kind of go hand in hand. I think. Actually, let's start with this. McShay put out mock draft uh, 4.0 for those on uh, if, if you have ESPN Plus. I highly recommend it. If you don't, it's like the easiest you know, subscription I paid for. Um, he put out a two round mock draft this time. So a little different, you know, I think he was the first one to do a two round mock draft of all the, the big name guys he had, let me scroll down here at 13. I believe he had the jets taking, damn, I lost it now. Did he have us taking uh Broderick Jones? I, I, I know I tweeted it to you in the, in the DMs. I believe it was Broderick Jones. And then he had us keeping both second round picks. So we picked back to back, although we still think one's going to go to green Bay. And he had us taking Joe Titman and shit. Now, now I forgot the whole thing because I lost the tweet. There are children listening to this show. Come on. There are children listening. I'm this, sorry. This, this profanity. <laughs> Excuse me. As I pull up the tweet. <laughs> oh, geez. We talk too much on Twitter. There's too many tweets to go through. All right. Here it is. This is great for airtime. Where is it? God damn. I've lost it. I've completely lost it. Does the tweet exist anymore? I don't know. Either way, he had the Jets keeping both second round picks. So that was going to be my first question to you about your mock draft specifically that we're going to get into. Did you keep both second round picks or did you go ahead, assume the parameters of the Aaron Rodgers trade went through we don't have one or both second round picks. How did you handle that? And as I pull up Todd McShay's mock draft. Yeah, we that we probably should have discussed that ahead of time. But I kept both picks. Um, I played the role of Joe Douglas. I turned off my cell phone and I decided I was not going to turn it back on until after the draft and resume talks with the Packers. If they don't like it, too bad. You want to pay Aaron Rodgers $60 million to sit on your bench? I don't think so. The San Francisco 49ers, don't listen to Craig Carton. What happens to people oh listening to Craig gosh. Carton? Things don't work out well. Don't listen to Craig Carton. Don't. They, there's no mystery teams getting involved. It's the Jets. And if you're going to trade for Aaron Rodgers, which the Jets are the only team that's going to do that, there's going to be a lot of money involved. And the Packers, like I said, they're not paying – these psychopaths who think, oh, well, we'll just keep him then. Sure, sure, you, you'll pay a guy $60 million. Aaron Rodgers can pocket that money and walk out the next day. Yeah, yeah. Like, or you there's can no trade getting him. around that. Don't, don't trade him to the Jets. Trade him to the – Patriots or the Dolphins for a seventh round pick. Yeah, that'll show the Jets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just it's straight buffoonery on Twitter. 
in regards to Aaron Rodgers. I found the the mock draft fully. Fully, I pulled it up. I'm only going to give away the Jets picks, obviously, because it's behind a paywall. He had us taking Paris Johnson, so not Broderick Jones. Paris Johnson at 13. No trades in this mock for for the Jets, at least. And then at 42, he has us taking Joe Titman from Wisconsin. So I got one of the three, right? And then 43, he had Brian Branch, the safety slash nickel corner from Alabama. And I just wanted to get your thoughts. How do you feel about, obviously, I think I know your thoughts on Titman, but what about Branch falling all the way to 43? Do you think that's actually a possibility? Or do you think that's a little bit more hopeful than it is anything on McShay's behalf? I think it's possible. I, You know, it's it's we we do develop these biases like i want jason taylor at second um i don't know you know oklahoma mm-hmm. state i don't know what round he's going to go in um i've seen him mocked as late as i've seen him as undrafted you know i've run some simulations he doesn't yeah. get picked guy had six interceptions last year all he did was make plays he had a ton of pass breakups um not the most physical guy like he's he's physical enough but like he, he's not um he's not a downhill blow guys out of the water, you know, kind of big mm-hmm. hitter, but, um, hit these pl- fundamentally sound as a tackler and he, for the value, I think where you could get him, I would, I would rather see him. I think branch is, I, I, I struggle sometimes. And I, I have the same thing with Henry two Oh, two like with, with Alabama players, like there's just, they are so loaded with talent that like, they're never going to like, they're just better than everyone they line up against 99% of the time. And mm-hmm. I think it makes their lives a lot easier. And I think that's why sometimes we see a drop off with these guys. I don't think he's as, he's as athletic as you would like for a guy who's going to have to cover a lot of ground. Um, and I think um, I, I, I don't, I don't love that pick there. I, you know, especially with those first three picks um, it's gotta be, to me, it's gotta be O line and, and whether we like it or not, I think they're, they're sticking with Whitehead clearly. Um, oh yeah, at this point, you know, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I want those picks to go on spots where like they don't have a guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to tackle. You know, receiver is different because they have receivers, but you play a bunch of them. You're gonna have five and play yeah. them. You know, um, and I want another one, and I want a linebacker because, you know, Quincy Williams. I get it; he's coming back, but he's an inconsistent guy. And then of course, uh, T.J. Mosley is uh, a bit long in the tooth. So I want. I'm thinking linebacker. Um, I, I would wait on safety till a little bit later. Um, now, look, if, if they love if they love him that much at safety, then, you know, Brian Branch and they grab him fine. But I feel like I, f- I, I feel like he's not that it matters a great deal, but I feel like he's falling out of faith. I don't see him getting mocked in the first round nearly as much as he was just a month ago. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure I, I heard people mocking him to the Jets at 13. Oh, yeah. Now I see him getting mocked in the third, you know, late second, early third round. So. I think he's sort of falling down some draft boards, at least the, the the media draft boards, which take that for what you will. Yeah, and I can't remember which who who it was that put the mock draft out, but it was like one of the very first mock drafts from one of the NFL Network or ESPN guys, and it was Brian Branch at 13. So I remember for a couple of days, everybody was, you know, having a fit about the Jets drafting a safety at 13, and it felt like that was his range. And I put out a safety video on Monday um, you can go back and watch that on the YouTube channel as well. And I talked about prospects other than Brian Branch because I said exactly what you said. Although it seems like he's sliding out of some mock drafts, I feel like he's probably going to end up being a first-round pick, especially if a team looks at him like a nickel corner. I could totally see them going, okay, let's go in the back end of the first round, get that extra fifth-year fifth option. Excuse me. So Brian Branch is somebody that 
I don't think will be there at 43. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, this is like one of the best mock drafts I've seen the Jets have in such a long time. But then you kind of peel back the layers of the onion and you understand like maybe one of those picks isn't there in the second round and you have to decide between Tittman and Branch. And you, you do you stay at 13? I know like it's probably not looking like they're going to move out of the pick, but I just I feel like it was almost a too good to be true mock draft from McShay. So although I was very happy with it, I felt like it wasn't like, oh, let me go put out a tweet about this because I'm so over the moon that this could actually be a thing. Now, when I think when we get into our mock drafts, you'll see a similar structure of player needs and choices where we where we've picked them. But I don't necessarily think it's going to be those players specifically. Um, so we can we can talk about our top 30 visits. Do you have the list up or do you do you need me to rattle off some of the names that we? Um, I have it on my phone. Probably easier if you've got it there. Yeah, I have it here. So this is according to uh, WalterFootball.com. Most of these, uh, I think I have four players that were not listed on his site that uh, it's known that they went and visited with the Jets in some capacity. We don't exactly know the capacity of which they did, but Walter Football does a great job breaking it down. So from the top alphabetically, Brian Branch, safety, Alabama, Julius Brents, cornerback from Kansas State, Jair Brown, safety from Penn State, McClendon Curtis, offensive tackle from Chattanooga, Braden Daniels, offensive guard from Utah, Joey Fisher, offensive tackle from Shepard, Bryce Ford Wheaton, wide receiver, West Virginia, our guy, Dayon Henley, linebacker, Washington State, who was a private visit just a couple days ago, Andre Yoshivas, wide receiver, Princeton, he's a local visit, being a, he's a, a New Jersey school, Broderick Jones, offensive tackle, Georgia, Truman Jones, edge, Harvard, one of the first guys I haven't heard of before. Um, Broderick Martin, defensive tackle, Western Kentucky, another guy, uh, Scott Matlock from Boise state, another defensive tackle, a guy I have not heard of again, Dwayne McBride running back UAB, Ventrell Miller linebacker, Florida, a guy we've talked about numerous times on the pod, Aiden O'Connell quarterback, Purdue. There's a subset of jets, Twitter. That's very happy about that. BJ O'Jolari edge LSU, Trevor Reed, offensive tackle, Louisville, our guy, John Michael Schmidt, center, Minnesota, who actually had three visits with them, combine, private, and a workout. Mm-hmm. Luke Schoonmaker, tight end from Michigan. Mozzie Smith, defensive tackle, Michigan. Uh, Feldman Freaks, number one on his list as the number mm-hmm. one freak entering 2022. Starling Thomas, cornerback, UAB. Carrington Valentine, cornerback, Kentucky. Owen Wright, running back, Monmouth, another local kid. Chandler Zavala, offensive guard, North Carolina State. So they're kind of all over the map. And I think that's how most visit lists yeah. do look. There's some top guys. There's a couple of middle guys. And then there's some guys that are probably not going to get drafted and they need to get another exposure before the draft happens to see if they're worth that fifth, sixth, seventh round pick or if they can wait till a priority free agent. You know, as soon as the draft ends, that'll be one of their first calls. And I've said it on the pod before, if it's like a sixth or seventh round guy, even like a fifth round guy, they probably have a grade that's basically splitting hairs. And it comes down to things that you would only learn from a player in the meetings. So I think it's really important that they're getting guys from all over the landscape of the board. There's a lot of guys I haven't heard of and a a lot that I still need to study. But I went back and I looked at the list from 2022 because I kept the list separate from Walter football. I didn't know if they had like access to years past. So I'm glad I kept the list from last year. And it looks like 
four of the seven drafted players they had a, a visit with last year were they they took and an undrafted free agent. So it was Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, and Tony Adams. So they all had private visits with the Jets. And I took that going into my mock draft and said, okay, well, how can I apply that to some of the guys who took private visits with the Jets? And I looked at Dayon Henley was a private. We would assume that Broderick Jones this, uh, this uh, earlier this week was a private visit. Um, Scott Matlock from Boise State, Dwayne McBride uh, from UAB, and John Michael Schmitz. Those are your private guys. So you would have to think those guys are somewhat on a priority list to the Jets and Joe Douglas. So when you hear the names on this list, how do you are there any guys specifically that you were targeting or any guys that you were happy to see or sad to see or guys you want to hear more about? Well, it always I, I never know how to take them. I know, like you said, they, mm-hmm. you know, they got four guys last year who they had on visits. Um, but I'd, I'd be curious to see what it was like the year before and the year before that. Like, exactly. Cause you don't want to do that every year. Cause then you're tipping your hand a little too much. Right. Um, you know, I know what happens a lot, but I think the, the example that I remember hearing most recently was uh, William McGinnis with the Patriots. Mm-hmm. He was like, they didn't do a thing on him before the draft. Personally, wow. they mm-hmm. didn't. Inter- he said they didn't have a conversation with him at a bowl game or a, an all star game. They they didn't call him before the draft. He didn't know. None of his wow. coaches let him know the Patriots were looking at him like they kept it that quiet. And you hear about it. You hear about teams that they say, like, we are not going to show any interest in this <clears> guy. We want like what we've seen on film is enough. And the, and we're going to take him. Um, mm-hmm. And then but then you get like you got you like if you're the Jets, like I would love John Michael Schmitz. I would love Joe Tipman. So if you like one, do you have the other in for a visit? Like, right. hey, we really like this guy. So let's show, let's, let's have this guy's name come out on a list that we're, you know, we're visiting with the other guy. So, you know, teams, teams that we are fearful might take Tipman won't feel as, you know, as threatened. They might think they can wait a little or they, maybe they don't have to trade up in front of us. Um, right. So who knows, but I, I love the Schmitz visit. Um, of course the Henley visit um, is, was, you know, got me pretty pumped. Um I know that there, there's only there's a, a few guys on there, like super small school guys. Um, one yeah. of them, I can't even remember. I, there was what was Monmouth, it? Harvard, Princeton, oh, Elijah Most Harper, Shepherd. I looked up Elijah Harper on YouTube, and like it's I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the quality of the video with some of these smaller schools. Yeah, but I'm watching this kick. It was like a 95 yard kick return. He looked so slow. Everybody on the field looks so slow. Oh, man. I'm like, this can't be. It's hard. But I, I feel like that happens every year. Like, you watch the where the, when the film isn't that 4K, super clear, super sharp. Yeah. Like, everyone yeah. looks a little bit slower. Um. So, but again, I have no idea. Other than watching a couple minutes of YouTube highlights, couldn't really tell you tell you anything about them. Um, <clears throat> did you mention the uh, diabetes, the the linebacker? No, so I haven't checked the website okay, recently. Sorry, yeah, this he... is just my spreadsheet. There might be a couple add-ons. From okay, last I, I did, this is the somebody somebody shared a uh, a link on Jet Nation. It's uh, NFL trade rumors. Um, okay, and they've got. I I just pulled it up while you were speaking. Um, Justin Broyles, Oklahoma safety. I watched him a little bit because I've I actually I messaged you yesterday about Eric Gray. I watched about three Oklahoma games yesterday. Um, Broyles didn't yeah. stand out a whole lot. So I mean, he, he did have a really nice PBU on a, a ball in the back of the end zone on a red zone pass. Um, but again, didn't see a ton of him. I was, you know, primarily focusing on the offensive side of the ball for Oklahoma. 
Mm -hmm. um, and their D-line. We always say it's so tough with the TV angles. And I know we have the the All-22 stuff now that I kind of haven't transitioned to that. Because like I said, I have so many games that I've I've, backlogged. I've clipped up and cut up. I don't have time to get into new games. Um, So hopefully more of that. But uh, Holton, uh, DeMarvion Overshone um, was listed on here on NFL Trade Rumors. He's a guy um, that I loved last year. I I think that um, it it doesn't surprise me that they're bringing in Henley Overshone because we've seen the Jets transition safeties to linebacker. Both those guys are college safeties that transition to linebacker. So they've already made that transition that the Jets seem to be uh, in favor of. Jair Brown. Mm-hmm. I haven't looked. I actually wanted to look at his measurements, his, his his wingspan, because I've watched a couple of Penn State games last week, and he had some tackles where I mean he he was able to reach out and grab guys where you know you're watching the play unfold and thinking he's not you know he's not going to be able to make that tackle because he's not in the range, and you know just swoops out with that arm and, and dragging guys down, and I thought God he's got to have he's got to have some pretty long limbs. I don't um, have his wingspan, but according to the combine, he was 31 and a quarter inch arms, which is. Pretty high for a cornerback or a safety, excuse me. Um, I remember yeah. he was DJ's safety one because technically he puts Brian Branch was, in yeah. the corner category. And right. I remember when he ran his four six five at the combine, DJ saying he plays faster than that. So somebody I definitely want to get into uh, more was uh, Jair Brown. Uh, I did have a couple notes because I thought it was interesting how many of each position they had um, visited with four offensive tackles. Uh, now it's f- three guards because, excuse my dog, because you'll see uh, Nick Saldaveri from Old Dominion was added to the list, uh, according to Walter Football. So now eight total offensive linemen, three defensive tackles, who we've obviously signed one earlier today, and then three cornerbacks. And I understand two of the cornerbacks were guys that I had never heard of or like very uh, you know low down the board guys. But they also met with Julius Brents, who's a second round, maybe third round corner depending on who you ask. Our uh, friend of the pod, Chris Schubert, will uh, go off about Julius Brents if you bring up that we had a visit yes. with him. So he's a big fan of his. So it's, it's interesting that corner was one of the top positions that they looked at, albeit some of those guys are not the, the very top of the list at their position. I do see a couple questions in the chat here from Braden. Um, who is the most likely trade-down partner if we trade out of 13, and what do you think the comp is? Um, the second part is obviously a lot harder because I think it depends on what position they're coming up for. But like big brain, say like the uh, the Ravens get rid of Lamar and they want to come up for a quarterback, they could give us something to jump up 10 spots if somebody slides. I also think that they're willing to get in on the cornerback market if the run happens there and they want to jump the Patriots. So I would say the Ravens are probably my most likely preferred trade partner because I also don't want to move back too, too far. I think they're at 22 or 23. Um, so uh, any, any thoughts on that trade situation from 13? I know we've kind of been an advocate of the trade back, but we know that it's seeming like it's probably not likely just based off Joe Douglas's tendencies. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um you know, that was something that I discussed the other day. I think it'll be interesting to see because I, while Joe Douglas hasn't traditionally traded back, you know, as I said to you the other day, he hasn't gone into a draft with six picks. Right. Um, you know, he's uh, up to this point, he's gone to these drafts loaded with picks, loaded with premium picks. So he's had, you know, a lot of, a lot of wiggle room, a lot of the ability to say, you know what, we can spare a pick to move up this year. You got six. Um, if you trade for Rogers and you give up another one, you're going in with five. I can't see them not, not trading down. Once you get into the trading down thing, I wouldn't want to see him go lower than sort of 
19, 20, 21, maybe. I think San Diego's at 21. Yeah. Uh, Baltimore at 22, you could live with. But once you get outside of there, that's kind of tough. Um, compensation, it's, it's just so tough to say. Like, you know, we always say that when it's compensation for a quarterback, the price goes up. Mm-hmm. And there are some people saying <clears throat> they think Will Levis could fall to 13. Um, if Will if Will Levis is on on the board and someone calls you while the team at 12 is picking and they say, hey, we want to move up if they don't take Levis. Well, now, you know, they're shopping for a quarterback. So, yeah, the price goes up a little bit. Yeah, but if we got a future one potentially from the Ravens and if they're moving Lamar Jackson, I mean, depending on what team it is that they're moving Lamar to, they could have high picks or picks in a range where we're happy to take this. I still don't think they're going to move him. It's hard to find. It's just hard to find all the the things to come together to make the trade happen. I feel like you can point to like five, six teams. You could probably point to like 20 teams that could use him, but like five or six real legitimate teams. And then you just kind of walk yourself back on all of them. And it's like, okay, there's only really like one or two. And one of those is Baltimore. So it's really tough to to pinpoint it. The thing is though, and this is what I've said from the, from the outset, who can make an offer that Baltimore won't match? Baltimore, if Baltimore lets him go, they, they go into football irrelevancy that second. Right. And they don't have, and the season's, you know, drafts coming and they're going to have no, you know, no quarterback. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not, you know, as Jets fans, we know how miserable it is to not have a quarterback. Imagine the Jets had a quarterback, be it Lamar Jackson or anyone. Let's pretend hypothetically the Jets had a 26 year old franchise quarterback. And they let him walk because they wouldn't pay him what he was asking. Mm-hmm. Like now, again, this is a whole nother conversation, but you know, between what's Lamar asking, what are teams going to offer? I, you know, I, I've once, once all the quote unquote controversy started with, you know, the, the collusion stuff, I just kind of said, we just had the combine. I have no doubt teams know how much Baltimore is willing to pay. And they're yeah. like, Oh, well we ain't paying that much. So if you're going to match it, there's no point in us making an offer. Uh, now look, if is is he genuinely going to get angry enough? I know we sent out the the tweet and the message, but part of that that could one hundred percent be real, mm-hmm. but could also be a bargaining ploy. Like I've often wondered that with players, you know, why, when these players are in these contract disputes, especially now the days of social media, why wouldn't you send like a goodbye letter to the fans on your Twitter account? You know, like, oh my God, he really means it, like because it gives that image that that perception. And again, I'm not saying he doesn't mean it. I'm just saying. I don't know. I'm going off on another Lamar tangent because I I, I, right. I think it's one of the most interesting stories of the offseason. I really do. I understand the frustration on both sides, but you know, the thing I always keep coming back to is I don't think they're gonna let him walk. And I don't think another team is gonna give up, you know, multiple ones for a guy with 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 the injuries he's had. So yeah, that's that's yeah. yeah. And we had a comment here. Matias says you can't have players on your team that don't want to be there. And like you said, it could be a bargaining leverage type of play to tweet that out. But if it is real, then yeah, that's, that's kind of a thing. And if you look back at recently, the Ravens, they've had a couple players come out and speak out and demand trades and say they don't want to be there anymore. And that's not a, a, a knock against the Ravens, but they have a clear strict way of doing things that has made them so, so successful for how many years. So obviously you look at like Rashad Bateman and Chuck Clark, those are guys that have asked, to either be, you know, featured more or they just change things in the the organization or they've asked to be uh, traded. So it's not necessarily like a a bad thing for the Ravens, like I said, but it is an interesting situation. And obviously 
if the 49ers want to give up all their third round compensatory picks for Aaron Rodgers, I would probably say, okay, let's pivot to Lamar Jackson and everybody will get on that bandwagon posting I, number eight in Jersey in a uh, new, new York Jets jerseys on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I genuinely, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about what Aaron Rodgers would bring if he came mm-hmm. here. But since I view it as a one year bridge, I'm like, if they don't get him, Okay. Like it's, it's a weird thing. Like if if it, if this was a three, four, five, six year thing, I'd be like devastated right. if you lose out on that opportunity. Yeah, one year, possibly two, but maybe I'll, not. I'll, I'll like, be I'll be honest. I'll be really upset if we don't get Aaron Rodgers just because my fandom for him as a player. Like, but that doesn't mean like I'm not gonna watch him play wherever he goes. Like, I just will do it with a little bit of a sad face because we have. Tim Boyle and Zach Wilson. So I'm not like, yeah, I would be way more upset if we didn't get them because that's kind of been my preferred guy since we kicked their ass in Lambeau, but we can, uh, yeah, I mean, you'd be crazy not to want them on your team, but I think right. you'd be equally crazy. You know, apparently now the thing is the Packers want to one next year, like next year's class is going to be stacked. Right. Right. This so, is you know, supposedly the, the, the down year in terms of overall top of the line talent across the board. So yeah, I, I, I would agree. Give up picks in this draft before picks in future drafts, if it's going to be any types of premiums, but like we've said, we don't think it needs to be a premium pick for Aaron Rodgers. It shouldn't point. be. Exactly. So with that, I want to get into the mock drafts. Obviously we said they're dueling mock drafts. So Glenn and I did one each, um, you, what site did you use? I, I think we said we didn't really care. I ended up doing both. And I also did one with a trade and then one with a trade back. So I traded for Aaron Rodgers with one. And then the other one I traded back and kept the second round picks because like you said, I hung up the phone on Brian Gutekunst on draft day. Yeah, I did. Uh, I used PFN. Okay. Um, and I'm aggravated because I have the results up here, but it's I, I clicked on all results to see every team's pick. Oh, and now fun. I can't see a tab to pick to skip back because mm-hmm. some Google ad just came up and I can't get rid of it. So I'm gonna <laughs> have to scroll it. through each pick to get to my Jets picks. Love it. Um, All right. Well, do you have your first one ready, or do you want me to go first? I do. I do. Okay. Cool. Um, you go first I, I, then because mine is I traded back from 13 in this one. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Um, I went with uh, with Darnell Wright, Tennessee. He was the best tackle on the board. Um, like I said, he's a guy that I was hoping would fly under the radar. Um. Thought that maybe he would uh, know that is not crazy at all. Um, I waited. I was hoping that you would take him so I could put put up Braden's second comment here. It says yeah. I'd rather have Darnell Wright than Broderick Jones. Is that crazy? And Glenn, that Glenn says no. I say all. no as well. I say no. It's not crazy. Not at all. And uh, that's who I'm taking in that spot. I'm shoring up the OT spot and um, and going from there. All right. Cool. So I as well stuck on the offensive line, but I traded back from 13. Uh, the Saints were willing to move up with the pick that they got from Denver for Sean Payton. It's still so weird saying that out loud. The pick that they got for Sean Payton now moves to New York, and they also gave us their second-round pick, which, if you remember, they originally are picking 10. The Philadelphia Eagles just occupy that spot. So their second-round pick was high. I was able to get 29 and 40. I gave up our sixth-round pick at 207. So I moved back 16 spots. I kind of played the PFN board a little bit, but I also feel like if Joe Tittman was the first interior offensive lineman to the Giants at 25, like in DJ's latest mock, John Michael Schmitz at 29 isn't 
incredibly out of the realm of possibility. I didn't want to move back too far to, to kill the Jets, but I felt like taking 29 and 40 in this scenario was way better than anything else I was getting. So I got John Michael Schmitz to be the, the pivot point of the offensive line for hopefully five, six, seven years to come. Yeah, I, you know, he. if you get any of these centers, any of these top guys, and, you know, even in the later rounds, um, someone I mentioned the other day, uh, Ricky Stromberg, Arkansas. Like, yeah. I, when I watched earlier in the year, I've watched a couple of their games now, but the, the first game, I, I think I watched them a little bit last year. And then very early this year, I think they played Cincinnati. It was like week one or two. It was very early on. And I watched that game. And I think, as a matter of fact, I think it was fun. Because, you know, we talked about how many times during the year, Reese's Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy, they would tweet out players we were talking about. Yep. I think Jim Nagy tweeted out about Ricky Stromberg, like literally as I was watching. Yeah, there you go. I was literally sitting watching the game um, to watch Ricky Stromberg. And um, – and it was either while I was within, definitely within a couple of hours. I'm on Twitter and, and Jim Nagy shooting out a tweet saying, hey, Ricky Stromberg, center Arkansas. I was like, I'm literally just watching him. Yep. Um, and I like him. If you can get him a little later and not get a center early on, I'd be fine with that. But I think uh, I like Tipman. Tipman's my, you know, my top guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as if anybody's at home is concerned who my top guy is. I'm sure everybody's taking notes now. Um, but, yeah, I like Tipman. But I like Schmitz, too. I, I would take happily take either one. Now, now you got me interested because for the people that do care about our rankings, I wanted to see how far away I have. John Michael Schmitz right now is 23, and it's a very incomplete <clears throat> incomplete list looking at mostly Jets' needs. So Michael Schmitz for me is um, 23, and I have all the way down here. It's really not that far. Joe Tittman, 33. So 10 spots away. I feel like the value is pretty much the same. I would take Tittman in that, in that range of the, the second round maybe – I'm spoiling your pick or something here at 42, but um, we'll get into the second round now. You have two uh, second round picks because you didn't trade for Aaron Rodgers. I now have three because I traded back with the New Orleans Saints. So if you just want to give 42 and 43, and then I'll go with my second round. Yeah, uh, 42, same guy we took last time. I'm taking Tipman again. And uh, yep. and at 43, I'm getting my guy, Dan Henley. I've seen people talk about him as a third or fourth rounder. Yep. I, I just think his athleticism, I think he brings stuff that other guys don't bring. Um, and he's still fairly new to the position. That's another thing. Like he's, you know, he, he's still learning and playing mm-hmm. at the level he's playing at. So uh, some people might say that's too early. And I say, I don't care what you say. I'm taking him. Yep. So great picks there. Actually, we have some overlap. I'll get into it. But at 40, the pick that I got from the Saints, I was very torn here. I wanted to go Mozzie Smith because they had met with him. But because I didn't go offensive tackle and I knew I had two more picks behind me in the second round, I could get a player that I liked at a different position while also establishing a tackle presence. Because as comfortable as I am with the offensive tackle position, I think at worst they need a guy who can be a backup this season to work into a long-term starter role. So Matthew Berger on offensive tackle from Syracuse. That's my guy at 40. And then getting into our normal allotted picks, 42 from Cleveland in the Elijah Moore trade. I took Dayon Henley. So pick earlier than you, even though you like him. That's funny. I took Dayon Henley at 42. And then at 43, I came back and attacked the safety position. And I got Jordan Battle, a guy that I talked about on my uh, most recent video. I was torn about a couple other safeties, but I ended up going with Jordan Battle. I know there's a couple safeties I like in the third or fourth round range, but due to the fact that we didn't have a third round pick, I didn't want to 
hope my guy was there at 112 in the fourth round. So I went with Jordan Battle, one of PFF's most consistent safeties out of Alabama. Yeah, I think um, I, I mean not it's I I'm, I think I laid off safety because I mm-hmm. I think what was it a few weeks ago when I I can't remember if I did an article or discussed it on the air. I may have done both. I think they like Tony Adams, yeah. and I think I think between Adams, Whitehead, Clark, maybe you know is 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 uh, Davis is Ashton Davis a backup again? Right. I think they might have enough there to say either if they're going to take a safety, it'll be really late or try to get another undrafted free agent. Um, I'm not saying they won't. I mean, like I said, like there's some guys I like, um, and but I look at the day three guys, and that's where I'm like, well, maybe that's where you can get Jason Taylor. Right. Even though, you know, it, it it's such a, a crapshoot with these rate. That's why I always think it's funny when you see these draft sites that like, you know, projected range, you know, uh, between rounds three and seven. Like they don't know. It's, just, oh, it was yeah. guessing, it's real easy. You yeah. know, and, and it was, it may have been you and I actually speaking the other day and saying that, you know, they say the, the 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 way teams rack and stack boards and grade guys, you know, there might be two points separating a guy who goes in round four and a guy who goes in round seven. Exactly. Um, you know, the grades can be very, very similar and it goes into need and all that. So, like, I look at a Jason Taylor and I'm like, I think I, I think I did say the other, the other day, he this year he's my Michael Clemens. Like last year I watched Michael Clemens. Um, I specifically remember, remember against Alabama because he had some great reps against Neal. Yeah, Evan Neal to tackle. And so then I watched a couple more games and I was like, wow, this like this guy's a player. Mm-hmm. And then I went on PFN and PFF and all these sites and they've got him ranked like 500, 600. I'm like, I, I guess I'm crazy because to me, this guy looks like a draftable prospect. Right. They got him as the 500th best player in the class. Mm-hmm. They have dudes that aren't even in the draft this year ranked ahead of him. <laughs> um, and then he gets drafted, and I feel like that's where pretty Jason high Taylor too, one seventeen, I believe, right? Yeah, and and yeah. Uh, whereas Jason Taylor Jr. is, um, it, I when I looked the other day, I think he's he's he has an undraftable uh, ranking in PFN. So maybe I'm crazy, but I would take him in the fifth or sixth. But uh, a safety that early, I, I would just be a little surprised based on the fact they have Clark. I think they like Adams. They're keeping Whitehead, um, but we'll see. I mean, good player. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, uh, I'd be surprised. Yeah, and I, I, if you walk, went back and watched my video on Monday, I had talked about Christopher Smith, who wasn't on the board. He had just gotten taken in this mock. And uh, Jordan Battle. And then the, the guy I was thinking about reaching on but didn't want to and hoping he was there in the fourth round was kind of a prayer was Quan Martin from Illinois. But he's kind of like a Brian Branch light where he's like a nickel corner more than he is a safety. I think he took like 60% of his uh, reps in the slot. So he's a guy that, like, although we do have a slot guy in Michael Carter, who I love, we both love, if you could add a Quan Martin in, like, maybe the fourth round, that's probably better value than Jordan Battle in the second. But knowing that we have almost, you know, 80 picks now between picks, it was very tough for me to pick and choose what positions. So I was glad that I traded back and got that third, second round pick. But, all right, no third round picks for the Jets. They gave it away to Cleveland with Elijah Moore to move up in the second round. Um, I see you added a clip here. What's this? This is going to be for the next player I'm taking. I, oh, okay. I should, have been, I should have been loading clips while we were no, talking. That that's all right. So we're in the fourth round now. Pick 112. Who you got? Uh, I'm I'm taking uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton. I actually I know I I took Darnell Wright early on. I actually considered. Um, I was gonna take. I was gonna seriously seriously consider. Uh, nice catch there in double coverage by Ford Wheaton. Uh, he's he, he's a guy who can burn. 
and I was going to take a receiver, either um, Jordan Addison or Jackson Smith and Jigba were going to be considerations for me at 13, but they were both off the board. So that made the decision for me at tackle. So I wanted to come back again and grab a receiver, but just sort of the way the board was falling, I wanted a center earlier on. And I thought, you know what? A guy like Ford Wheaton, I had in mind and thought I can probably grab him later on and, uh, and not have to worry about uh, not having to worry about the quality of talent. Like I feel better about getting a receiver in round four than I do an offensive tackle in round four. No, I certainly agree with that. And if you want, you can load up another clip of Bryce Ford Wheaton because in my mock in the fourth round, pick 112, I as well took Bryce Ford Wheaton from West Virginia. This is a guy I've talked about on this pod. I went on Green Beans uh, Patreon and I did a wide receiver pod with him and a couple of his guests. I believe Braden was one of those guests. Shout out Braden. And I talked about Bryce Ford Wheaton and I got a little... I don't know if I put this like worry thing in Jets fans heads because I started comparing him to Denzel uh, Mims. If you look at all their combine stats, they're like pretty identical. Their height, weight, speed. They both ran exactly a four, three, eight, but you, then you know, you're like big 10 schools or big 12 schools, excuse me. So you're kind of worried. I don't know. Bryce Ford Wheaton doesn't give me like, and I was, I loved Denzel Mims coming out. I like verbally yelled when we traded back and still got him. Obviously it hasn't panned out, but if you could get a Bryce Ford Wheaton, I'm totally on board with it. I see you put another clip in here. Yeah, that's a that's a fresh clip. We'll go let that one roll. Oh, Oklahoma, here he is down the red zone running yeah. a fade. Yep. Holds this is the Oklahoma game. Yep. yep. Yeah, exactly. Yep. He's had on, so. multiple catches like this. I think he's very good at the contested stuff. I don't yep. necessarily consider him a separator, with, but he does have the ability to separate in certain Absolutely. situations. That deep post move, he was still able to get a little bit of separation at the top, but – I think it's a great pick. I think he fits what we need. I think it's kind of surprising hearing you say you were thinking about Jordan Addison or Smith and Jigba at 13 because I was certainly thinking about them at 13. Um, I believe they were all there, but I wanted to trade back and assess the offensive line first. I feel like that was the primary need, but very interesting that we were looking at the smaller guys round one, and then we ended up with the 6-3 and change. Bryce Ford, Wheaton, height, weight, speed guy in round four. Um, I believe now... You have two more picks left, and I only have one more pick left. So if you just want to go round out your entire mock draft here, it's fifth and sixth round picks. Yep, sure. Um, 143, <clears throat> excuse me, 143 D-line, Colby Wooden uh, from Auburn. <clears throat> I think he's listed as an edge, but you do see him play inside and outside. Wins here at the point of attack, sheds the interior lineman. <clears throat> doesn't get the, doesn't uh, prevent the first down there, but holds it to a two-yard gain. You do see him get penetration as a as a pass rusher, so he brings mm-hmm. a little bit on uh, both at, both phases of the game against the run and the pass. And uh, really, I think that, you know, we're hearing a lot of people talk about the depth um, of the D-line in this class, and especially edge rushers. Like I said, some have him listed as an edge, some have him as a DT, um, but I think he can do a little bit of both, and I would, um, I would gladly take him in that spot. And the last guy... <clears throat> I'm just going to see what I have on him. I actually, I believe he was a, a top 30 visit. Hang on just one second. Because even though we've talked about, you know, the, the Jets running back room being solid, which it is. And actually, I don't know if you saw this, Dylan. Um, it was the, um, who was it? Uh, Brian Costello said that uh, Bryce Hall, the Jets are expecting him to be ready for the, uh, for the opener, which was yes, surprising. Very That's big I heard that. Yep. Yeah, but I still want a running back. Um, and uh, so with, with my final pick, East Carolina, Keaton Mitchell, 
Um, yes. One of the fastest okay. players in this class. I think this is a play from last year because um, he jumped out at me last season and I started pulling clips on him. So um, he's a guy, as you see there, can take the ball to the house. He's got, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what he, I don't know what he ran the 40 in, but he's got to be a, a sub four, four guy. And I've actually seen him mock to the Jets in a couple of different drafts, but you know, he's not a power guy, but today's game, you, you don't, you don't use those guys as often. And I think he'd be a great compliment in the backfield. So I pulled up his combine stats while you were talking five, eight and a quarter, 179 pounds. Uh, four three seven so absolute yeah. burners and he had a one four eight ten yard split so just absolutely dynamic speed 38 inch vertical so that's really good for his size a ten and a half inch uh, a ten and a half foot broad jump as well so very explosive speed type of guy i guess like if, oh, if sorry, you no, like say, here's a play where it looks like he's not going to get anything it's not a big gainer but that right there looks like that should be a huge loss but yep. he's able to cut back cut around and look now that's a that's a three yard game. There's six but guys around him. Yeah, that saved him about nine yards. So yeah. you know we talk about all the time about you know don't box score scout right because you would look at that and go oh big deal he had a three yard run or three yard reception. Yeah, he, he caught the ball and he's that he's, move right there. Yeah, eight nine yards deep, and that's so it's you know he he basically could have been tackled 10, 12 yards further back, but because of his his elusiveness he's able to to make it a positive you know couple yard gain. Yeah, and, and I haven't like studied him in depth, but I knew a little bit about him coming into the process. But I guess if you are targeting somebody like a Devon A-Chain, you know, I don't know if he has that return ability as well to go along with that speed, but you would assume he's done some kind of special team somewhere in college. So if he could be a returner slash, you know, third, fourth running back in your in your, you know, stable of guys that you need, absolutely. All all for it. All right, so that was – oh, and, and uh, Wooden, I think it's great. He's number 25 as a defensive tackle. That's just okay. a great number choice for him. <laughs> All right, so to round out my mock draft, I only have one more selection. Pick 143. A guy I believe I've talked about. I know we've talked about his teammate, plenty of his teammates, but his his running mate alongside of him on the D-line is Moro Ojimo, defensive tackle from Texas. Um, another guy that PFF just rates really highly, and I just – we need bodies at this position. So with the last pick, I honestly just went right to D tackle, picked a guy that I knew that I had some exposure to because I wanted to be able to talk about them a little bit here. And uh, the teammate that I was referring to was Keandre Coburn. And yeah. in PFF's, uh, PFN's mock, it they were very closely rated. I think he was a couple spots ahead of him, if that. So that, that's that's Ojimo picking up a PBU with the uh... – at the line of scrimmage, he gets that left arm up, boom, swats that ball down, or at least deflects it, uh, forcing an incomplete pass. I mean, a, a big dude in the middle, really good run stuffer. And, um, again, it's a position where the Jets are going to have to address. They've lost some bodies. They've been snubbed by a couple of free agents. And uh, I think Al Wood is supposed to be coming in this week um, if, he hasn't, if he wasn't already. I forget what day they said he was coming in. Yeah, I um, believe it was either today or yesterday he was supposed was to meet say, with him. I th- I, and it's I funny they met Thursday. with Al Woods signed Quentin Jefferson so it's funny because we could just pair up those teammates again and like I said at the top you kind of do need that two gapping run stuffer I think Ojimo can do that as well as being the athletic pass rusher like you said he can get his hand up in the passing lane so he can give you a little bit of everything and I think the Jets want that but you need bodies at DT so we're going to fill out the needs as with our final pick of of, of the mock draft so that's it I think uh both our mock drafts are great. I'm going to go on Twitter. You could uh, check us out. I, I, I'll try to get through to the Jet Nation Twitter, and I'll put them right on their account, and I'll just uh, – maybe I'll put out a poll and see who 
who did better, Glenn or Dylan? Because although I did have a extra second round pick, I think you make a, a pretty compelling case based on your needs as well and, and your mock draft because I like who you got at the top, especially the Tipman pick. Uh, I think it's funny that we both took Henley in the second round. Uh, he's another player that's just not going to be there in the rounds where you would ex- have expected yeah. him to be pre-draft I saw process. somebody say, I saw somebody tweet say, oh, he's, he could be good value in the third or fourth round. It's like fourth round. Like, nah, I, he's not going to be there. Maybe, maybe early third, but fourth. Right. I just you, can't see it. I was going to say, if you're thinking top 75, that's the first like eight to 10 picks of the third round. I don't know how he's not a top 75 player. It just doesn't Again, make sense. Especially to me. with the athleticism in, the in this I mean, NFL that we live in now. Yeah, you need that speed sideline to sideline. And he's not just a speed guy. Like he is the finish the tackle type of player. Yeah. So I know some uh, platforms have him as their linebacker one. I know he's kind of gaining steam up there. So, yeah, he's very high on our boards as a I linebacker. checked that. I, I don't know if you saw. I tweeted that yesterday. I, I got my uh, my football game plan, Emory Hunt draft guide. Yes. Um, and that was literally I, – I opened up the file, and I was like, what, is he, what does he think of Dan Henley? Yeah. Henley's my guy. Search the name inside linebacker one dan henley i was like there you go he knows what he's doing every like come on he's on it close the whole oh, yeah. guide it's like you yeah, wrote exactly. the thing yourself there you go there you go <laughs> but he does but we say it all the time man he digs deep emory hunt's got guys in there i'm like forget the player he's got guys in there i haven't heard of the school i haven't heard of the where the where the college is located um I, I sometimes i wonder if he just makes a few of these up for a laugh to see if he can get someone to come onto a podcast and talk about them a yeah, page, page thirteen hundred and seventy-two is not a real player. Like it's that, was just... a, that was a bit. Did you ever see that bit? This is years ago. Jimmy Kimmel. He was making fun of people being draft nerds who like to draft too much, and um, mm. they and I think this is when it was still in Radio City, if I'm not mistaken. And they they bring uh, it back, please. They sent somebody out there with a, a camera, like to interview these fans who were like lining up overnight. And they started asking them for their opinions on these players, and they were just making up names. And people were like, oh, yeah, he's, he's really fast, and I think he's going to be a good whatever. And they're like, ah, oh, he's not a real person. We just made that up. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, that's Gotta the thing. It. You get put on the spot. You feel like you know everything about the draft. You don't want to. You got to say something, right? You're not yeah. expecting them to lie to you. So you're like, this is a real guy. I better say something. I've never you know? heard of him. So, <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. It's, you know, it's uh. And I do – there are some some draft experts out there, you know, quote-unquote experts that I watch. And, like, I'm like, you throw out way too many bland terms that don't – like, you're not giving mm-hmm. me a specific play, a specific game. Um, Yeah, and I wonder, like, have you really ever heard of that guy? Because you just seem to say, uh, uh, oh, yeah, loves the game, plays hard. Yeah, who doesn't? Like, how many guys – how many guys you be like, oh, it's pretty lazy. It worries me. He likes to sit down between plays. Like that that's not a thing. Yeah, it seems like there's a couple one liners that you can sneak yeah. in about certain positions or certain this or that. Like I love the deceptive speed for like those backup quarterback guys that like nobody's yeah. really talking about. Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. But like we said that about like eight guys last year and two of them are still in the league one year later. So I mean it is, is to be fair though, it is tough. I mean, the draft has gotten so big now. Yeah. If you're going to talk about like 300 different guys, how many different things can you say? You know, like, yeah, exactly. You really how many have terms to, like, can we make up to separate guys? You really have to say, okay, well, against Georgia, he was, you know, a, a zero shade and he swim moved the left guard and he got right. to the quarterback. Like, you literally have to say something specific and then go through your cliches about him, or else, yes, it sounds all the same and copy paste in, in all your scouting reports. Yeah, because even just writing up the 50, 60, 70 guys I do every year, it's like, 
all right, well, what did he do that's different than this guy that I have to like differentiate these fourth round wide receivers in my head? They're great at the at the you know release point, but like other than that, okay, body control, catch point, you know, this and that. It's you find and how much cliches. time are you gonna put into it? Every year we watch NFL GMs who have entire scouting staffs at their disposal and they screw up the draft. Yeah, exactly. You know, are they doing the whole what is a paralysis by analysis? Like, yeah, sometimes just watch a guy and be like, that dude. Like, I remember, you know, this is years ago, and, and I was, I was, and I remember telling people, like, I had just gotten to Korea. Um, so you just kind of get what you get in terms of what games are on. There's no like NFL package or, you know, same with college, just whatever games are on or on. And it was just by sheer chance that like four weeks in a row, Wisconsin was on. Um, and I said to some people, I was like, look, man, I've only watched like three or four Wisconsin games like in my life up to that point. I'd never really watched them. And I, you know, I wasn't pretending to be a scout. And I was like, but this kid, J.J. Watt, like he makes a play every single game. Mm-hmm. Like I've watched four games. He's got two forced fumbles, five sacks, an interception, two fumble. Rec- like every single week he would make a, a splash play. And I, that, you know, I, I was on the message boards like, oh, this kid, J.J. Watt might be, you know, and then, of course, by the time the end of the end of the season rolled around, he was being talked about as first rounder. Right. But sometimes you watch the game. You see that a guy is clearly, very clearly the best guy on the field, like safe bet. He's going to be a good player. Right. Like it's, you know, it's over analysis. I think sometimes cripples teams and that's how you, you know, you end up making bad picks. So if you didn't hear that correctly, Glenn Naughton discovered JJ. Yeah, I did. I did. That's that's just what like, we uh, heard. <laughs> just like Al Gore invented the internet, I I discovered JJ Watt. I was the one who found him. Um, oh, yeah, man. but it's if only you told like the I Jets said, guys about him. Come on. Same thing. I, I another one. Here's another one that comes to mind. I said to somebody one time, and this was based off. I mean, this is really just dumb luck. This was based off watching like three drives. I was having lunch in a sports bar. And it was college game on and I'm watching it and uh this is before we knew Chad Pennington was gonna blow his shoulder out um and every other part of his body and I was talking to some friends about you know uh, some fellow Jets fans and I was like man if the Jets didn't have Pennington there's this guy I watched the other day Ben Roethlisberger I didn't even know how to say his name <laughs> I was like this guy Ben Roethlisberger he's really like small school Miami of Ohio throws accurate on the run I was like but the Jets have Pennington so they don't need him but someone's gonna get a good quarterback that's funny Pennington still goes down as like one of the like it's like what the if? worst injuries to watch is that hand injury. I think it was the Giants preseason yeah, when his whole yeah. arm just fell over. on it. Oh, nah. I felt so bad for him. And he was my guy back then. I mean, I Terrible. grew up with that, he was like, everybody's guy, man. Exactly. We thought we finally had a quarterback. Yeah, and I was like touchdowns this previous season. Yeah, I was a little too young for like Vinny. Like I had a couple glimpses of Vinny, like when they were kind of doing the both of them at the same time, like for a couple years, right? Was that like 2000, 2001? They were both on the team. And yeah, then once we came, the team. yeah, then once yeah. we came Pennington's team, I just kind of like, I got all the jerseys, the Coles, the Corvette, the Santana yeah. Moss. Like that was, yeah. that was the squad. I mean, that was, was a good group. That was a great group. So, all right. Great stories. Any, any last words before we get on out of here? I know it was a kind of loaded show. We went for almost an hour and a half here. No, no, nothing else, man. The draft is nearly here. Three and, weeks. Uh, Hopefully, hopefully we, we have the draft. We, uh, that's something we got to do next week. Actually, we got to talk about guys on the roster who might be able to fetch day three picks. Like who could they look to trade? Who might have some value? Um, not, not a ton, but I I think they have two or three guys that 
another team might say, yeah, we'll give you a six for him. We'll give you. I was going to say, yeah, don't seven. go trading off like every single backup just to get a fifth, sixth round pick. No, I know what no. you're saying. There are a couple no. yeah. in some depth spots that you could flip for a five or a six. Yep, absolutely. So yeah. that, that'll be a great show idea. All right, we're going to head on out then at this point, almost at the hour and a half mark. We appreciate everybody tuning in. We appreciate Paul Fraze for coming on again and, and promoting his book. That was an, a, Check out his book. Fantastic yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll put the link right on my tweet thread there. Um, so follow me at, at DTerriman. You can follow Glenn on Twitter at AceFan23. Make sure you're following his draft account at JetsPicks, at JetsPICKS. Follow Jet Nation on all social media platforms, YouTube, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. We're there. We'll be back. I believe uh, Glenn's got a show coming up with Chris Schubert from the Draft Network tomorrow. tomorrow I'll be night. back. I believe um, I'm going to do defensive tackles on Monday, I believe. I've had a couple uh, requests for D tackles, so even though we signed one, I'll definitely get that out. We're three weeks away. We'll have to figure out what we're going to do Thursday of the draft because we're not going to go live during the draft. So we'll have to figure that one out, but we appreciate everybody. And until next time, let's go Jets.